community of members, coaches, and professionals working as a team of like-minded individuals in constant pursuit. Connecting this exclusive group with the tools and resources they require to live a high-performance lifestyle, conquering what life has thrown at them. We are Living the Fit Life. Welcome to the Living the Fit Life podcast, episode 60. I'm your host, Chad Mueller. Today, we are sitting down with Jess Cullen, hot off the trail of Jess winning an Ironman Canada race. And of course, joining her is the mastermind and her husband and coach, Mark Cullen. Jess, how are you doing? Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> it's uh, It's been pretty exciting. It's still wrapping my head around it. Yes. Congratulations on the amazing feat. I'm really excited to dive into uh, your story today. And Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back on the podcast again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. To get endurance going again on here. Yes, we've we've rallied through some CrossFit events recently, um, but we've talked about in the we were just talking about before we went live of having the dynamic duel on on live on the podcast. So um, we're what is it two weeks post uh, Ironman win? Yeah, I think so. Is it two weeks? Mark now? the details, man. Yeah. Is it about two weeks, Mark? <laughs> um, ten days approximately. Approximately ten days. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. How are you? How are you feeling, Jess? You know what? I'm feeling great. Um, I always find that Ironmans are a little bit less wear and tear on your body um, than the shorter stuff, at least in terms of the soreness afterward. Um, the, I find the Ironmans are a little bit more systemic, so it's just taking the time to eat, sleep, just recover, chill. So workouts are way more chill. But yeah, like feeling like body's feeling amazing, and yeah, just overall feeling sort of like elated. Like it was, it was still like pinching myself. <laughs> Awesome. I have to ask, um, how many days of rest recovery did you do after the Ironman? Like, I mean, I mean like no, like no running, no biking, no nothing. Um, well I did. So I'll tell you only because this is a perfect segue. The, the recovery was on point for our, uh, for the Ironman the day after, um, there's a river um, near where we are and there's like some and mountain ranges. So we had some drinks and we went in the floaties and we floated for like four hours down the river. So that was brilliant Ironman recovery. The day after that was wine tours. And the day after that we flew home. Um, so it was about four days of absolute or three full days. Um, the fourth day I went on a ride, um, with, with Mark and the club. Okay. Okay. All right. That's an appropriate amount of time to take rest. I think I would say I was ready time to reflect and enjoy. Awesome. Okay, cool. 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 I like that. I like that. I always, I always wonder if you crazy endurance folk, when you guys throttle a massive competition, if it's like one day and then it's like the next day you want to get back onto it because you guys are so used to the volume. You know what? I've always wondered. Yes. When I was less of a mature athlete and I'm not calling myself old, but like the more that you like actually just learn of the science of it, I'm like, I want to be the best I can be and I want to go fast. So to do that, you need to have really good recovery cycles. So like, I'm actually pretty hardcore about my recovery. So I'm totally fine with taking days off. And, and Mark, I know you've shared this in your shoulders a lot, but like how amazing was the race day from a fan? And coach sort of spectator experience for Jess winning the Ironman Canada. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the day would be like. Um, I've never really spectated like a long Ironman type of day like that as a as a coach and having like six athletes on the course. So I figured it was going to be a bit of a nerve wracking day. And then, man, right away as those like splits were coming in early, I was like, this is going to be a crazy day. 
So, um, man, it was 10 hours of just like watching the tracker, like so pumped up, but so nervous. And then um, just following that uh, through the run and like seeing Jess, like realizing what she was doing in the moment and like taking it all in was definitely, it made it by far like the best day of triathlon I've ever been a part of, like racing or spectating. Like it was just so cool to like watch that in action and obviously like to have it, one of your athletes who's also your wife doing it is a, a pretty amazing moment. So yeah, I was on, I was on the verge of tears all day. It was, it was a pretty amazing day. <laughs> one I won't soon forget, that's for sure. And will be hard to be topped. <laughs> so, uh, spectating is more stressful than actually racing. Yes. 100%. Like I've yeah. is at great races where I've been on course and you can't really like, you're just focusing on executing your day where they're like, mm-hmm. you have no power over like what is going on. So you're just, right. yeah, just waiting for splits to come in and waiting for five and a half hours on a bike ride where there isn't a whole lot of splits and you're just praying they get through with no mechanical trouble. So yeah, spectating far harder. Yeah. I'd much rather be racing for sure. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, yeah. So today we're going to dive into obviously the race. I want to learn more about uh, your story, Jess. I was going to ask more quickly before we jumped into that. Just like, obviously it's a big deal. Ironman Canada. Like how were you feeling before the day? Did you said you had six athletes. So like, did you sort of anticipate that this was going to be a big race day for the club? Like you're feeling pretty good, um, going to that day. Yeah, I think I was really nervous about the day because I knew that the group had put in so much work towards it and they were all so ready for the race. It's one thing when somebody's like showing up and they're maybe not prepared for a race, like you don't put a whole lot of stock in it. You're like, okay, do the best you can on the day. But like Mm -hmm. this group was very (laughs) ready to do well on this day. And I had watched them, so many of them live in KW or I keep in close touch with if they don't. Um, And most of them work one-on-one with me who were racing that race. So like I was very dialed into what their ability levels were and was very invested in that day. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I knew it could be a special day. That's why I was so nervous. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely exciting to, to follow along all day. <laughs> sounds like a big day all around for both of you. So that's super awesome. And yeah, I want to dive into the race details, um, in a little bit, but I, I quickly, Jess, I wanted to kind of uh, understand I, I, a lot of times when we have these podcasts, we obviously want to hear about, you know, how you got to where you are today, right? Like, and a lot of the people, um, have similar stories to some sense, but I'm, I'm curious what your sort of athletic background is and how you've sort of, you know, become the winner of Ironman Canada. <laughs> well, um, I was, what, what surprises a lot of people is that I wasn't athletic at all as a child. Like I didn't, I wasn't even on like a pickup soccer team or anything. Um, I didn't, I didn't really play any organized sports until, um, high school gym class. Um, I was raised conservative Mennonite. So actually, um, not, not super competitive background at all. Um, so in fact, competitive sports were discouraged a little bit. So, um, didn't really realize how competitive I was till we let that loose later in life. But um, my very first half marathon was uh, in university, actually. Um, and I was joking. It was like at a party and a bunch of my friends were talking about um, that they were they were going to be racing. And I was living abroad for my third year. And I said, sure, why not? Um, so it was it was not a brilliant first foray into running, but it, it, I really loved it. And it I've the second that I, um, you know, started running, I was, 
I just, I just fell in love with it. It was, I was one of those annoying people that just liked running right away. Um, so then I was quickly drawn into sort of like the ultra stuff. Like I, I did, um, a race called the trans Rockies 120 miler, which is like in, in Colorado in the mountains. Um, and then I started getting into like the adventure racing stuff, which is like multi-day sleep deprivation. Um, lots of, um, that's where you're sort of tackling the mental side of going really, really long. So, um, it was cool to be able to hone that, um, long before I did Ironman. So by the time I got to Ironmans, they actually felt pretty short. Um, so that, so the adventure runs, or, sorry, tell me more about this. Like you, these are like, um, yeah, sorry. Adventure runs. What is this? So yeah. you're running and then you're, you're not sleeping. You're running, you're sleeping. So adventure races is like this wild type of racing. It's so fun. Um, and you can do a bunch of different, um, like, it's, it's anywhere from a six hour race to like the world championship event is seven days. Um, so it's four or five sports. So it's, um, like hiking or trail running, mountain biking, um, paddling, rock climbing, and then orienteering. And you have teams of the, prof the professional way to do it is teams of four. And you would be, um, you don't know the start or finish line before you're handed the maps and then you have checkpoints. So basically the team that traverses the, um, the distance in the fastest amount of time and gets all the checkpoints is the one that wins. So you need wow. to come up with strategies as a team. And then once you get into the multi-day, you need to have a sleep strategy. Um, and it, it's just, it's this whole other, you know, it's, it's whole sidebar. I learned everything I know about leadership from adventure racing too. It's like communication. Um, and it really introduced that whole idea of team sport to me in endurance, which is why community is so important. Um, so I was, I was really big into this because it's such a fascinating sport. It does take a lot out of you to do like, um, my, my longest amount of time going without sleeping, I think was like 64 hours. Um, and then we were forced actually just because of a water crossing at night to take like a one hour nap and then we finished, but like needing to be able to push through that level of fatigue. Um, I think like it, it set me up because like, I've got to tell you having the background that I, I do in sport, um, I get to a start line and I'm like, I know how to suffer more than any one of my competitors here. Cause I have gone to the, like the darkest places possible. Um, so I, I think that I carry a little bit of that with me. Um, so then after adventure racing, I started dabbling into like, uh, cycling. So that was where I sort of transitioned from mountain biking to a little bit more of, um, uh, it was like, I did some road racing. Um, I did something called crit racing, which is again, it's, completely different than adventure racing but it's it's um high impact it's like over in one hour it's that adrenaline and um you know high crash rate which is it's it was just so fun so some of my success there i did um i i podiumed at the tt provincial championships um i got third place there and then i actually won my category in um crit provincials and so then i started like i this is around the time that i ended up with Mark and we both tried a triathlon and I always had people saying, Oh, you'd be so good if you just focus. And the thing is like, I, my, my specialty is, is in not focusing, um, which is why triathlon is the perfect sport for me is that I love that there's three sports I need to master in one or else I would be chasing. I would still be out there doing adventure racing and mountain biking and crit racing. And, and if it's not structured, it's, 
it's not going to come together into one sport. So it's, it's really, it gives me like all that diversity that I crave in sports. So that's a bit about my background. Yeah. Okay. So you weren't competitive at a young age, but it sounds like you've really kind of, uh, went full send as I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's insane. So how, how long have you been doing triathlon slash marathon slash oh, Ironman? So, and, and, fo- and focus like, you know, as your sport. So, well, and I would view all of those as different sports. So the, I'll start with triathlon. The one that I, I started when I started triathlon was I mark. It was 2016 that we did our first one. Yeah, 2016, we did Muskoka 70.3 was our first race. Yeah. And I, in my head, I was like, I'm just, I'm a runner that's trying triathlon because I'm in that phase of like, I'll try any sport in endurance world. And then I'll, I'll just go back to running when I'm done. But um, I ended up, I'm hooked, you know, five or six years later, I'm still here. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I have to ask, like, I always... Uh, for me, not being an endurance athlete at this moment, I talk to Adam and Mark a lot of times about this. Like, and I always ask the question, and everyone kind of laughs. Like, like why? Like, why do you put yourself through this sort of pain? Why do you do this sport that uh, requires so much um, time, investment, volume? Right? You, there's lots of other fitness and other sports to be healthy that doesn't take up nearly the amount of time as a sport like this does. So, like why, why do you do this? Like, why, what, what's your why, I guess? Yeah. Um, well, I would say like overall, one of my whys in life in general is to reach my potential and help other people reach theirs. So the thing that I love about triathlon is that it really Mm. is hard. And I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to it is because it takes time because if it was really easy, then everyone would do it. And I think that that's why I gravitate towards it is, you know, I, I choose this sport because it's, it, it feels like a little bit of an Everest. It takes, um, you can't fake a fit body. You can't fake, um, you know, all of the work that it takes it to put some uh, three sports together into one. Um, and for me, that's, that's kind of a triumph to be able to do that. And, and it, for me, it's, it's a way of practicing out success in other areas of life by, because in every area of life, you're balancing more than just one thing. So I kind of get to practice that in a small way with triathlon of, of balancing three different sports. It's how are you going to do, you know, balance different things in life and then overcome those obstacles and put it all together. So yeah, it takes a long time, but it's not just about the sport. It, it It's just all the things. It, I think it just makes me a better person too. It's a great answer. <laughs> great answer. I, I have to ask a little segue here, but have you guys ever heard of High Rocks? Yes. Yes. And yes, we'll do it one day. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. Let's do it together. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. I'm in. You've heard it here too. I, I, I was actually going to do it this year just for fun. Uh, and then I recently have been thinking about it more. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I think there's a lot of uh, athletes in our community that would probably like, cross over. Because I heard someone say in High Rocks, they said, um, I'm, not strong enough for CrossFit. I'm a really good runner, uh, but like my endurance is great. So Hyrox is perfect or something. And I was like, there's a lot of people that are kind of in that middle hybrid round. So it's like, I was like, I should ask Mark and uh, Jess about this. We're in. We're always we'll Try anything. <laughs> it sounds like you guys would try anything. I mean, <laughs> but we'll keep you focused on your goals for sure. Um, 
So I, I think everyone probably wants to hear more about your story specifically to the race. Um, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot. I'm sure you've sort of had a chance to debrief. I'm, I'm curious, obviously, to hear about Jess and Mark, your sort of experiences throughout the day. Um, and so, yeah, like maybe can we start with, with the race? Like how was, you know, like you were saying, I, I think you, you said uh, in one of your, uh, your posts, I know you gave a, a good debrief. So if anybody hasn't checked out Jess online and Instagram, we'll definitely uh, throw a, a link in, in a podcast description. Um, but like, maybe if you guys can give me some sense of like the training leading up to the race, I know you guys, I mean, you're consistently training. I know you have multiple different races throughout the season, but maybe if you can sort of just give us a little bit background on, on what training was like up to this race specifically, how it was going, all this sort of stuff. And we'll jump into the race details after that. Yeah. Um, I think Mark, why don't you talk about like how you structured my training? And then I can talk about the emotional side of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like with any training program, we definitely kind of map out some of those key races throughout the year and kind of what the targets are for those. And I think when we looked at the year, like Ironman Canada was definitely probably the like A plus race of the year. Um, cool. Jess has been like having a fantastic year, like um, within our training group, especially um, we've been able to cultivate like a really good group um like myself, Jess, and uh, one of her fellow um, training partners, Allison, have really like we've been able to push each other as like a small group a bunch this year to to really get better. So um, we had Ironman Canada kind of on the schedule there, and then early in the year we knocked off like a key block of like running races, and Jess made some like huge gains in running this year just from like chasing myself and Allison a bunch. Like took five minutes off her half marathon PB and ran like one nineteen, which was like huge when she had run 124 wow. the year before so like we got the ball rolling early and like a lot of that early time of the year is run focus um and doubling down on that and then we really got into the like try fitness after that so um a couple key races along the way we did um, american triple t which is a crazy one where you race uh four day four times over three days and it's just this awesome like volume building like camp for a weekend um, which kind of spiraled cool. into Muscleman, which is uh, kind of her first, like, call it A race of the year, which was a 70.3 half Ironman distance. Um, and that was her first age group win that she got at, like, an Ironman race. Um, I think she won Guelph Lake overall on the way there, too. So, like, in terms of the, like, structure of the training, we just kept building to peak at those certain races. And then we left enough time for, like, a very specific Ironman block that was about um, eight weeks after that 70.3 kind of specific block. Um, and yeah, that was just really focused on consistency and building volume over, um, especially those eight weeks. Like it was a very focused on Ironman. We didn't really race at all during that time. And I think it's, uh, hmm. it really paid off when she got to race day of having like a, an amazing base of a good solid eight weeks in there. Um, and maybe I'll shoot it over to Jess to let her kind of talk about more along the lines of some of her training highlights or tough days that probably like helped her kind of uh, prep for that Ironman Canada day. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that, and I'm not just saying this because he's my husband, but the, the, the way that I love that Mark coaches that is different than any other triathlon coach I've ever worked with. And I have worked with a few others is that, you know, in triathlon, I know it seems insane that we, we train like 15 to 20 hours a week, but 
you know, a lot of high level triathletes train upwards to like 30 hours in their peak. And they do a lot of like long, slow distance. Their blocks are very long. So for a lot of triathletes, when they hear that we only train 15 to 20 hours, it's an only, it's not a holy smoke. That's a lot. And then the fact that I did an eight week training block, um, I was, I, like, don't get me wrong. Like I was, I was recently training with someone and they're like, wow, I just thought that you were like excited about all training all the time. Cause I was like very reluctant to go on a swim. And I was like, no, like there, for me, it was just, you know, when you have a coach that you trust and you check boxes, um, it's just showing up every single day, committing to the work and getting it done. But I get bored if the training cycle, like I, I have to say Ironman training is grueling. The race was so much easier than like the, the training leading up to it. That was the hard part. Um, so the fact that he was able to get me ready, and I have to say this was the first time I felt ready for an Ironman, like physically and like psychologically, I felt ready. And that almost never happens. Like I, tr- the, he was able to get me there. But I think like when I look back on sort of the highs and the lows, um, we'll start with the positive because that's always a good thing to do. Um, like some of my best days, there was, there was a day where the night before I ate like a ton of sushi. And then the next day I went on a ride and in a headwind was just like, I, there was a bunch of guys in the group and I was like riding at just Ironman Watts, which is how you measure power on the bike. And I was like very self-conscious. I was like, Oh, like pass me if you need to. And they're like, we're almost falling off the back. And that was a moment for Mark, um, where he's like, oh my gosh, like she, if she can just hold Ironman Watts and do this, she might be able to do damage. And that was like 180K ride. Um, and then the day after that, um, well, actually one of the following weeks, there was a, a, a really low point. So it just shows that you can have a really high high. And then the next weekend, I think I had a 200K ride and I made a fueling error and I was vomiting on my bike by 100K and I still had 100K to go. And it was a moment where Mark said to me, he's like, don't turn this into a suffer fest. Like you can turn around like, and I was like, no, you can't quit in an Ironman. So it was like 34 degrees and I was like vomiting and just suffering. But, and like, I drew, I, I biked out. It was one moment I had like 50 K left. I just like hung over my bike and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I, I just did it. Um, and then um, the day after that though, I had a 32 kilometer long run and I crushed it. So I'm like, I can rebound doing that. But then the following week I had one where I was feeling so dizzy that I needed to like have a fetal position um, and curl up on the side of the road to reset. So it just shows like training is a journey. And um, the reality is the way that Mark and I sort of measure is that, you know, a third of your days, you you sort of bucket your, your training days into three different types and he'll, he'll, uses a, a, a term of measurement, uh, he'll be like, was that a one day, a two day or a three day? So if I have a three day, that would be like my Ironman day, like best day, everything is clicking. It's the day of your life. A two day is like, you know, it's, it's just a day you're checking boxes. You're not feeling spectacular. You're not feeling bad. And then your one is just, it's a crummy day. It's a day where you're throwing up on your bike. So, um, and it's okay. And it's actually important to have days in each one of those buckets. It's just, you can't have too many days in any one of the buckets. So that that's a little bit about the training is just, you know, there was, even though there are spectacular highs and spectacular lows, 
it really wasn't about, you know, anything extreme. It was just following the plan, checking the boxes, trying to get all those training days in. No, that's awesome. I love the one, two, three day thing. That's awesome. And I mean, yeah, I, I think some of like, yeah, that's, that's puking on a 200 K ride. I, I mean, I would be getting an Uber for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have to ask though, because it sounds like, like what Mark was saying too, with the, with the races, sounds like the races you were really dialed in, um, is like, Mark, is there any sort of, um, strategic way of trying to make sure that the race days are threes versus, you know, you might have a, you might have a bad day or you might have just an okay day, but it sounds like Jess has really hit like every race at like a high level this year. Yes. Is that by design, I'm assuming? Yeah, of course. Like, and that's development as, as an athlete as well as, um, like, I think when people talk about Jess, they would not call her robotic at all. But the true sign of an athlete, especially as they continue to develop, is on a race day, they are super predictive and almost robotic when it comes down to it. Like, you obviously can't leave emotions out of it. You need to, like, have that at key moments in the race to make sure you dig deep and you get the most out of yourself. But like in a day, like an Ironman, like she's literally almost going robotic for nine hours and then like pushing for that final hour. So when we talk about those one, two and three days, especially in training, this is where you um, look at those one days that really suck and you don't let them like destroy you or get you down or they're not this like snapshot of your current fitness. You're just having a bad day. And that's like my role as a coach is to like, program the training because I want though if the training is appropriate I think it's good to have training in all three of those buckets because you're getting enough stimulus of days that you're feeling good days you're feeling crap and um, balancing all that out to to make a good training plan and then um, yeah it's once you learn from those one days that those don't um, you can still come back from those days they're days that are tough but um, if you learn from them and how to improve and then you have those two days you check off and then those three days that are obviously days you get really fired up and pump you up and you're like, oh man, here's like what I could do on an amazing day. Um, you start to like learn that on one, two or three days, like they're really not all that difference in terms of a performance when you come down to a race day. And then obviously when you go into a taper, like an Ironman, we do call it like a two week taper where we cut down um, training volume and intensity a bit. Um, your likelihood of landing more on a two or three day when that race day comes about is like exponentially higher than having a one day. Um, but that also like, I'm sure Jess can say like more, and I can talk to it as an athlete as well, like more in my early days, I had a lot more one days on the race course where like my one, two and three days are all very similar on a race course now, like within minutes. Um, and it was cool when we put in our, her like goal times on training peaks ahead of time, like she literally nailed them to a T like within a 10 hour day. And people say like so many things can go wrong in an Ironman, but like she showed how if your coaches dialed in knows what you're capable of, the athlete believes in it and knows how to execute that you can actually be very predictable on a day like that. And while predictability mm. doesn't sound sexy necessarily, it clearly yields some damn good results when you look at it. So yeah, yeah, that's the, the recipe you got to put together. I mean, I, I was going to say that I think it is impressive about endurance sports and how predictable, how, how you can actually predict something where it seems like it's such a long period of time where so many things could go wrong because there's so many things that are out of your control. But for a sport, it does feel pretty predictable, which is, uh, I guess, which is 
uh, kudos to the amazing coaches like you and other people that are sort of, you know, in the sport. Um, but yes, let's dive into the race. Let's, let's hear about it. I want maybe Jess, Mark, feel free to jump in when you want, but break down the swim, the bike, the run, how things were going, you know, just give us highlights, lowlights, anything you think is important. I want to hear it. I want to, I want to be in Mark's shoes. (laughs) Okay. Um, well, what's cool about this race, like I have to say, I've been on Ironman start lines where I just wanted to throw up. Like I was just feeling so uncomfortable, so nervous. So like you almost get this nervous energy because you're so, you know how much the day is going to hurt. You know how hard it's going to be, but I had such intense training and such like realistic Ironman training days leading in. Like I felt so prepared that I didn't have negative anxious energy, if that makes sense. Um, so mm-hmm. leading into the day, um, I was talking to some of my training partners and they're saying like, even a couple weeks out, I started narrowing my focus. I was talking a little less in workouts. I was almost getting in that race headspace as I was entering into those weeks. So race morning, I was just so focused. It wasn't even a, a nervous energy. Um, and like Mark said, I am anything but robotic, but race morning, absolutely robotic. I just went through every single motion. I knew what I was supposed to do, whereas I was supposed to be when, and just started from the moment that I woke up controlling everything I could control, um, staying super calm and sort of in this moment of like super grateful to just be there. And um, it, it's weird. I knew it was going to be a great day before it even started. And I don't even know how to explain it. It was just the headspace was so spot on. I was exactly where I needed to be. Did you do things? Did you do things to like work on that? Like, was it like you purposely did different things or you just like, you just woke up and you felt good and you just kind of continue the momentum. It's funny because I think as like talking about um, referencing what Mark said earlier, but just being an athlete a really long time, I think that you build out these habits that you don't even realize are preparing you, but you just do them automatically. I was saying to him that I kind of got chills after the race because I had this like very weird, like anytime I was on like a very boring run um, where it was just me and my own thoughts, I just had this like little visualization that I would go to to pass the time. And it was just like of me, like winning a marathon. And it had no like, and I wasn't even comparing it to the Ironman, but, and then we'll get to the run. But like, I kind of got like, holy smokes chills when it was over. Cause I'm like, I visualized all of this. Like I, yeah. I visualized the screaming and I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, so I was kind of like, got into that, like, I don't know, like champion mindset. Like, flow state. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the best way to describe it. I was, I was in flow state for like 10 hours and I was just, I, I had practiced it. I was ready. I was just so locked in when I stepped in the water and it was just, um, I always said it was like a celebration of all the hard work that I had done. It, I didn't put a ton of pressure. I just, I knew what I needed to do and I was just doing it. Um, so I, I didn't let any wow. snags get in the way. So the water was, you know, swim is my weakest sport. Um, I was planning on maybe swimming at best a 108. Um, I'd been at the pool about three days a week. Um, and then, you know, just hoping for the best. And then I was going to s- scrap my way to the top, which is normally like I, I'm chasing all day. Um, I'm not normally first out of the water by any means. Um, but the water was super calm. Like the temperature of the day was perfect. Like everything was perfect. It's one of those days where Mark Marco said to me at the beginning, he's like, the only thing that can happen that is going to mess you up is you getting in your own way. 
So the whole day I'm like, just stay out of your own way. Um, so I tried to sight perfectly on the swim, um, tried to keep out of people's way, um, tried to find feet. So in swim, you can draft um, behind people and it actually makes like a 20% um, like less effort. So tried to save my energy. And I've got to say coming out of the water, I almost choked because I looked down at my watch and it was like a 104 and I couldn't even dream of swimming that fast. Like the exponential jump. I don't, I don't think even Mark was expecting that, um, of me. So it was that day. It was in that moment where I'm like, this is the race of my life. Like I am flying today. Um, because normally that's the the sport that holds me back. And I was already leaving in a really good position. So, um, that was, so, that was a big moment. For me. It's, so in that situation, is there a time to like, celebrate and holy shit i just like pr in my swim i'm I'm in such a good position you know do you do you let your mind trail off like that or you are like no shit i'm not done like this there's more work to do Um, like because you could because you could basically say like oh today was today was already a success i crushed my swim right and if i finish where i finish at least i'll look back and i had a great swim well you, here's the the thing about triathlon is you can't separate out the sports. You can have a darn good swim and a darn good run and a really terrible triathlon. So um, people are, are like, oh yeah, I was on track for X, well, but you didn't finish. It's mm-hmm. like saying that you're on track for something of a time for a marathon and crumbling at 32 kilometers. The race starts at right. 32 kilometers. It's how you put it all together. So Yes, okay. I had a moment of like, and you can see it in my race photos, I got a big old smile on my face when I come out of the water. But instead That's of great. using that as motivation to stop, I'm just like, let it feed me of being like, yep, like check. Now let's do the next thing. And then the, the transition is the next thing you got to keep it smooth. Um, and, you know, you've got to really slow down. Um, so often in transition, especially when I was new, I would just be almost frantic with it. And when you're frantic with it, you drop things or you forget things. So I almost, what felt like taking it too slow, I had my like fastest transition because it was, you know, making sure you're placing things, you're getting the right helmet, you're getting your bike, you're getting like all the things. So you're fully prepared by the time you get out on the bike course. So, um, that was great. So Mark, do you, like now that you see Jess just crushed her, like you see Jess crushed her, her swim, right? And is this where like the day kicks off in stress and, and excitement? Like, it's like, holy shit. Like, do, do you now at this point, it's like, do you anticipate and do you feel like, okay, like this is the day? So I was definitely fired up from her swim. Um, I had done a run out like the te- first 10K of the bike course and then I was turning back around and I had my phone with me. So like when I saw her swim and I saw Bronwyn leading out of the water and the rest of the crew all had like awesome swims, I was just like jumping up and down and my pace on the run was going way faster than I should have been going because I was just um, so fired up. And I like she was at that point, I think, sixth in her age group and like 25th female overall which usually she's like way further down in the the standings at that point so I was like oh man like this is a a good spot to start and like I think yeah it just catapulted the rest of the day and as we kind of jump along I can uh, keep giving my thoughts of kind of what I thought was the potential of the day but like even ahead of the race like I I knew she was on track for something special I'd done some recon and not told her about it about like who was in her age group and like like who our main competitors are going to be and where they were in the race. And like, 
I know there's not many people that could run with Jess. So like I knew she was already in a great spot, like after that swim, just knowing like what I knew before the race. So um, yeah, like what a good setup for the day. And she just catapulted it off of that. So, so she was around like 25th coming out of the swim. Yes. Yeah, correct. 25th uh, female overall. And then she was like sixth in her age group at that point where usually she's like 20th or 30th or something in her age group at that point or like 150th female overall. Like it was, this was a huge spot to be after the swim. 25th to first, that seems like a massive climb. You were saying before that you're usually used to chasing. I mean, assuming you're even further down that, like, is that quite common to jump that many spots with that many different sports just because it's a long race? Yeah, in a in a long Ironman like that, like you can definitely jump a lot. Like it's a crazy long day, and that you can you can lose it in the swim, but you definitely like can't win it there. Okay. Um, so like even in transition, like she jumped ten spots in transition. Like she okay. downplayed it as if she's just like cruised through transition and took her time. But like I always say to the people in our club, we're not going to be the people that lose time in transition. Like this is something that you don't need to forge any extra fitness to get extra speed out of. Like just take the time, learn how to do it quickly and efficiently and do it smooth. And you're going to gain time on people. Like she jumped from 26th to 16th overall, just in transition. And that's a two minute transition. Like people are taking four, five, six minutes in there. Like you advance yourself 10 positions that took no extra fitness. Like, Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can jump pretty quickly in it, and like by twenty three k on the bike, she's like fourth overall and third in her age group. Bronwyn was leading the race at that point. Like, yeah, I was pumped up when our ladies are first and fourth say- overall, and I know they're the strongest two bikers. It's a pretty cool moment. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, because we had Bronwyn on the podcast too, and uh, I know that she's got a great swimmer, so it's awesome that yeah the whole crew is there. So yeah, so you transition and you're jumping on the bike, and is biking your strength? Would you say? No, I'd say running okay. is my top strength. Biking is my second. Okay. Um, and Mark and I have worked really hard in the past. Like we've adjusted our like strategy a little bit with me this year is that in the past I, because I knew I was a good runner and that was it. I was almost protecting all day to make sure that I could like let go on the run. Mm. But then I would find that I would have like really terrible bikes compared to the rest of the field. And I'm like, I know I'm better than this. So this year in particular, Mark was like, Jess, we're going to try something new. I don't care how bad your run is. You are going to bike your brains out. And which is normally terrible advice for a triathlete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want to save your legs. So don't try this at home if you're new to triathlon. But um, he's like, you've earned the right to be able to just go bananas on the bike. So, and that's on quite frankly, that I won the race the next weekend when after he said that I tested out at Guelph Lake and I was like, Oh, and then I won my age group and then I won this race. So I think we found a pretty good strategy. Um, and it, I, I don't even think that I'm that much better of a biker than I was before. I just have been actually like letting myself push a little harder. Um, so I would say bike is my second, okay. but, um, like Mark said in like the first 23 kilometers though, like, I, and so on the bike, um, I'm not just pedaling. However, I feel you have like a power meter that gives you a number. And he sort of gave me the numbers that I should be pedaling at to sustain over the five ish hours that I'm out there. Um, so I was just following my numbers, just focusing on, I have it to beep every, you know, 15 minutes. So I would be, you know, eating, drinking, um, a strategy I took this race was I did a lot more liquid nutrition. So in the past I'd have a little bit of solid and, and liquid, but this one I, used Morton. Um, so in the past I've had gut issues. I've actually like vomited on the bike because in a race because my gut flipped. 
Um, this race, I, you know, tried Morton. Um, I did 300, um, gram bottle of carbohydrate bottles. So that's like a lot of grams of carbohydrates. Yeah. And then yeah. I had about a hundred gram hundred grams of candies. Um, so sorry, what's Morton? Morton is like, a Mark, maybe you can explain it better than I can. What's Morton, Mark? Yeah, it's just like a high carb, like hydrogel type of powder that you put in the drink, and it's got like. Is it? Yeah, is it sugar dextrose? Is it? Um, I think it's maltodextrin, and um, I want to say I forget what the exact combo is, but it's like the the dual sure. transport ones because you need okay. like the dual transport to like be able to take on um, that many parts an hour. hour. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I was aiming for about 70 grams of carbohydrates an hour, which, which is like you want to, and, and the strategy on the bike is you want to get as many grams in as you can, because you take it in a little less at the run. So really you're fueling your run when you're on the bike. Yeah. Um, and you've, so, you've struggled in the past to take down the fuel on the bike, like just cause your stomach or. Um, no, I've taken it down. It's just caused stomach troubles on the run which slowed me down. Like I mm. felt like I never ran an Ironman to my, my potential before, because, you know, to be like Frank, it was porta potty stops and that's all within your times when yeah. you are looking at the, at the overall run. Um, yeah. and I wanted to avoid that. Yeah. I always, I always wonder about that, the amount of like carbs. I know you guys burn a lot of carbs, but it's just like the amount of gels and candies and stuff that you have to digest is just like, Oh my God. But your gut can be trained in the same way that your muscles I was, can. I was so. just going to say, like, it probably takes a few races to get to a good... Because I imagine if I went out there, uh, my stomach would just be yelling at me. But yes, after 10, 15 times, I'm sure you adapt. Yeah, and you train it in training. Like, you hmm. use your fueling strategy on long training days as well. So you've had, like, dozens and dozens of days that you've practiced it. And then you tweak and I learned, you know, you don't drink a whole thing of Coke in the middle of a bike ride very quickly. That's a terrible idea. So what's the go-to candy? We got fuzzy peaches, we got sour patch. Like what's the go-to candy? So mine is something called fruitfuls. They're almost yeah. like my training players call them slugs. Um, they go down really easy and four of them is 33 grams of carbohydrates. So they're brilliant. Okay. Mark, do you have a favorite? Uh, I'm a fuzzy peaches guy for sure. Obviously. They're the best. Is that, do you see anybody like hanging like liquor shit out of their mouth or anything like that? <laughs> No, I haven't seen that yet, but I would, I would, wouldn't be opposed to trying it. That's for sure. Like I said, Fruit we'll by the foot, anything. you know, just have this like lang dangly thing just chewing on it. That'd be amazing. Love it. <laughs> anyways, anyways, more serious talk. Um, the bike, yes. So how did how did the, how did the bike go? Like I, I'm just, like it was a fast track, or I know you guys talk about sometimes the track can be difficult. Was the conditions pretty good for the bike? Conditions were perfect. So it's the first like 65k or downhill. Um, or very, very fast. So my problem is, and, and this is where I, I thought I was going to have a wrinkle of the day, um, is that I have actually like a bulging disc in my back, um, which gives me like a bit of sciatic pain, um, depending, especially when I ride arrow a long time, um, because spoiler alert, um, triathlon isn't great for your back when you look at, you know, being hunched over on your bike for that long. So at around 65 K, I just started feeling like garbage, like cramped up. Um, which is why hilly courses are really great for me because, um, right around 65 K there's like about a seven kilometer climb up in the mountains. Um, and that actually helped reset. It's a different position. Um, it's the bike courses where I need to be hunched over for like the full five and a bit hours that really just destroy me. So, um, 
I was really happy I could reset there. Um, and, and I would say for most of the bike ride, I was able to hold my watts. Like I normally you trail down a little bit. There was one moment where I struggled a little bit right after the second climb at about 110 kilometers where there was a headwind and I felt kind of like garbage. Um, and I let my wattage slip like a little bit for maybe, I don't know, five or six K, but it was right in that overpass in the mountain where someone yelled out. They're like, they started yelling out my placing. They're like, you're the third female we see. And then I was like, what? Like I'm top three in this race. Like, and that was the first moment that I'm like, wow, like I might do well. And then all of a sudden it changed to like your second in the race. And I, I knew, um, I hadn't seen Bronwyn who is like, you had mentioned it earlier. Like she's an absolute mermaid. She went to <laughs> Olympic trials. Like she's like the best swimmer I've ever met. Um, and she, like, very like mark said like the her and i would hope do the strongest bike legs of the day i'm like she's the only one that would be in front of me so i'm like this is crazy like lp girls are dominating this race like mark must be losing his mind right now (laughs) confirm i was (laughs) (laughs) so like it you're so the the biggest thing i mean because i don't do endurance and i'm sure people that do endurance like they probably just like, oh my God, roll your eyes at me when I ask these questions. But like, what are you, like, there's so much time, especially on the bike. Like, what do you think, like, are you dialed in all the time? I know you said you had the beeper thing. You had to do your fueling. Like, honestly, give me, like, how much time are you sitting there just thinking about things like, you know, what I have to pick up the grocery store after this or whatever to do? Like, is, does your, do you allow your mind to wander outside of the race? Or like, is it like purely just so much focused state on like you and the bike and everything else? that can be exhausting like too. I'm, it's true. Um, in training, I'm maybe a little less focused, but I have to say in a race, no, that, I am fully dialed in that full time. I'm thinking about, because it's in those moments, if you start letting your, your mind shift, that's when your cadence goes off. That's where your positioning goes off. Like you actually, it's a full-time job to monitor, like, is my head in the right position? So I'm getting the most arrow. Am I like, am I eating? Am I pedaling properly? Am I going through aid stations smoothly? Like you're always being, how can I optimize what I'm doing right now to go as fast as I can and not slip. And because I was able to stay in that state the entire time, I think that that's why I had the bike I did is that I didn't, you can't let it slip. So, and then you find, you find out you're in third. So you're just like, okay, I need to hunt down the next person, then the next person. And that's your race basically. Actually. Yes. And no. Um, the most important thing that you can do when you're doing an Ironman is be patient. And that's the cool thing about having an awesome coach is that I know what I'm supposed to do. It actually doesn't matter where first and second are. What matters is that I follow my wattage numbers and I execute on my plan because the reality is if I do that, I'm not going to burn the matches so that once I get to the run, they're, they're in trouble. I'm going to hunt them down. So like, I'm not hunting on the bike. I'm just executing my plan. Such a good athlete. Yeah. Well, Maturity. but that's how, yeah. Well, but that's how you lose races right. is when you start getting emotional. I mm. check my emotions at the door when I race. Like I said, I'm like, I, I can be emotional, but not when I'm racing. I'm a, I'm, I'm a robot. And so I, I always hear about like, there are certain almost very specific times in races that like everyone talks about like where there's a marathon. It's like, okay, like beware of the 35 K it gets rocky there. Like everyone's always talks about like certain times in races where it's just like, it's, uh, 
a down point. Do you have those? And did you have, were they different on this one? Like you said, 65K, your back was sort of sore. Is that normal for you around 65K? Or is it really dependent on the course? It's dependent on the course. That one was, it was way too early for me to feel that. Okay. Um, so, but I didn't let, I didn't give it much negative energy. I'm like, cool. Well, you've already had a really great day. So just manage it. Keep like your only job. It goes back to that whole comment of like, I, I, I might not be the best at a lot of things, but I can suffer hmm. probably more than most. So I'm like, I don't care how much it hurts. I'm going to hold my power. Um, and that's your job today, even if it hurts. So, um, cause I also know once I get onto the run, I can reset. So I'm like, this could be four and a half hours of agony, but you're going to just suck it up and go. Um, but thankfully I didn't need to do that. So then it was like, I just was able to just fully enjoy the bike ride and just was like grateful that it didn't get worse. Where did you end up uh, at the end of the bike? then so by the end of the bike i finished in second place so um second overall and i knew i I, so bronwyn was about five minutes in front of me um but she saw me and i was like shoot because now like she knows where i am (laughs) so um she she put the she she put on the pressure a little bit. So I think she was like Mark, like six and a half minutes ahead of me by the time that I got on the run. Um, so then I did another really fast transition and actually maybe we'll stop because we did say that Mark would be able to give his thoughts on my bike. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, I don't have too much more to note on that. Like it was for the tracking, there was no tracking from like 106 to 180 K. So like, I knew Jess was in, I think, second or third at that final tracking. So, like, that's where when we realized there was no tracking for, like, another two hours, it was, like, just hold your breath and pray they both have good, like, they were both riding well. So, like, I felt like they were both going to ride well to the end. And um, as long as they had good mechanical luck and no flats or bikes falling apart, that they were going to be in uh, in good shape. But when the tracker goes black for two hours and you can't watch and your two ladies are, like, first and second or first and third in the race, like, you're just holding your breath and waiting for them to get off the bike. And I was just waiting at the, the end of that run course. What did you do to pass the time? Were you like pacing back and forth, like driving yourself crazy? Yeah. You drank. Yeah. <laughs> I might've indulged in a couple beverages to ease it. Yeah. Makes sense. They were going down way too smooth with, uh, with how excited I was. I just wanted to get them on the run and be able to cheer them in person versus just waiting. <laughs> and at that point, uh, like, they're in the, they're, I said they're at the top of the race at that point. Is that when you're like, yeah, this is like, cause you, cause like just saying like her running is her strength. So you already knew that this was going to not be a walk in the park by any means, but like you knew that she was in contention to really crush the day. Yeah, totally. When, especially once I finally got the splits that both of them were off the bike, Bronwyn and Jess, I was like, oh man, this is going to be like a really good day. Cause I know they both can, uh, like runs super well. Like that's Jess's strengths. Brahman has worked on hers a lot this year and didn't quite get the run she deserved on that day. Um, but she'll be back at it. She's hungry. Um, but yeah, I knew it was going to be like a pretty special day at that point, just because they also had like another five to 10 minutes on like the people behind them. Um, so I really just wanted to see how they came around that first corner on the run and how they were both looking. And when I saw they both were looking like great as they came around that first corner, um, I knew it was definitely going to be a, a pretty good one. So you get, obviously got to hold it together for a whole marathon so you can't get uh, get too ahead of yourself. But I know Jess's 
what she's done in Ironman marathons before. Like I think the worst she's run is like 331, which is like typically a top couple female run split. And I know she had improved on the run and she felt good and was riding the momentum of an amazing day. Like I was like, oh man, I think she's she's primed for a really good one here. Yeah. So just like at, at the end of the at end of the bike, uh, how were you feeling at that point? Like were you feeling fairly fresh? Like any any different than any other sort of race? You're just feeling you know, you're trying to go and transition, but yeah, I was like, I had two very disappointing Ironmans last year and where I just felt terrible coming off the bike and they both for their own reasons were sort of like demoralizing moments. So like it's, I think it's important, like not every race is a mountaintop moment and I definitely mm-hmm. have had my share that weren't. Um, so coming off the bike, I, there's like the last 20 K into the transition are almost downhill. So I was flying like 50, 60 kilometers an hour down a hill. Wow. And then into town is a bit of a false flat. Um, but I was where I was like, I am, I am flying because people were, I was passing guys consistently. No one was passing me. So I'm like, I must be feeling much better than the people around me. And this is the bike. So I got on the run and it felt like I hadn't swam or, or biked. Like I just felt so fresh and like so good. And then it was like in the first 500 meters, I saw Mark and like just seeing him was such a boost. Um, and then in the first kilometer, there's um, like a huge hill and like Mark had like worked on the strategy a lot with me before that. If he's like, if you are running faster than six minutes per kilometer up that hill, you're going too fast. Like you're going to burn yourself out. So just like, again, it goes back to executing on the plan. And then the first 10 K um, is like this really, it's a slow gravel section. Um, and it's sort of like a gravel trail with a slight incline uh, for the first 5k and then you get you get a decline on the way back so just like because you feel good right because you're like oh thank goodness I'm running Mm -hmm. just holding yourself back not running too hard because like there's so many places where you're not going to win the race but you could lose the race so just being patient um at that point like it was exciting to hear like I the people were yelling like how much time I kept you're like you're you're four minutes behind you're three minutes behind like and I started hearing that so um probably at about oh it was a, the turnaround at 5k where Bronwyn was coming towards me and I was running out and like we're teammates right so um we always joke with LP especially the ladies that it's like I I I, I if anyone's gonna beat me I want it to be you um, sort of thing. Like we really are like super supportive, which I think is what is the specialness of, of this community. So often in competitive sports, um, you can sort of beat up over each other to try and get the win. And, and I think we have such an incredible respectful community and such like a mutual respect for all each other. So, um, like we had nothing but pure happiness for each other and which is awesome. Um, and it was a boost to be able to see her, um, and then probably about a kilometer later at the aid station, um, I passed her, we gave a, a high five. And then um, I swapped out for the lead cyclist, which I found out after the race is Jen Annette, who's like a Canadian professional triathlete. Like I had no idea while well, she was behind me, um, but I ended up getting like the world's best cyclist because she, she has had the lead cyclist before. So she knew exactly what she would need to do for me. Um And then like, holy smokes, that's when like the best part of my day started as like being in front. It's almost like when you win, you keep winning because, um, 
like coming around the corner after this huge downhill at about 10 K you need to snake through the city, the, the city. And, um, I was just so unprepared for people to be lined like eight deep. And it was like a sound tunnel of people just screaming. And I realized like, Oh my God, they're screaming that I'm first. Like what, a, what a moment. Like I, I actually kind of got a lump in my throat and like tears were pricking my eyes. Cause I was so like un, unprepared for the crowd support. And then um, the lead cyclist had like a, a megaphone and a siren and was like a sign that said lead female. So all along the course, she'd be like, all right, everyone. And like, just like hype up the crowd. So I'm like, how can you not, even when you feel bad, I have my own personal hype woman yeah. with me for the rest of this race. Um, and she was like clearing way for me. Like, I'm like, wow, like, if you, that's where I say it. If you, if you start winning, you keep winning because they make it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, I kept looking down and I'm like, okay, like Mark might kill me because I'm going much faster than we had talked about. But I also was riding the, the, the it's adrenaline like, at that point, right? Adrenaline and excitement. And also I was just feeling so good. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to see how it, like, I, I didn't, I wasn't stupid about it. Like I really, I ran within my range of what was reasonable. I wasn't running like my actual marathon pace, but I was probably running about 10 seconds fast, 10 to 20 seconds faster per kilometer, depending on which one, mm-hmm. um, kilometer. Um, but I, I heard you, you asked earlier about like times that you need to feel good or versus bad. I have this, um, a wise person who's been in the sport a long time once said like, you should feel good in an Ironman up until the half marathon point. Okay. Um, if you feel bad before then you've gone too hard. So I'm like, interesting. So I, I weirdly like hung on to that. So I was just like flying through the first half marathon. Um, I saw Mark at around the half marathon and like, we just kind of were like, Oh my this God. Like, look at this. Um, and then that's kind of like where you head into the second part, which is like, that's where the full day out there adds up. And then all of those, if you've made some emotional decisions, if you started chasing people, um, you did anything stupid, that's when it shows up because mm-hmm. you can kind of fake a first half, but the second half is where it gets real. So in the second half, um, yeah, just kept focusing on my nutrition strategy. And then, yeah, it did start hurting, but I didn't fade that much. Like the crowd support was ridiculous. And then also I just, I do attribute it to the fact that for past Ironmans, I wasn't able just because of COVID to do strength all the way through consistently. I I wasn't able to do strength consistently, but because I did it this time, I didn't have the same breakdown. So I don't know, like Mark, what were you thinking over this time? Yeah. Um, I was obviously going crazy. And I think the beer count might've been at about eight at that point. Cause they were just, now I knew things were really going and she was flying. So I was way too excited, but yeah, just like the base you had created that year of like run speed plus the strength, plus the nutrition. Like it was just, we finally had, I knew we had finally mastered the recipe in that moment, which was so cool to like, and like that same recipe could not work on another day. Like you were just having that perfect day. So like, it was just so cool to see like you get the day you deserve and like that I've thought you've had in you for like many years before this. So it was, it was definitely a, a sigh moment for me of like, Oh my goodness, it's finally here. And it, it, there wasn't much sighing. It was mostly loud cheering and jumping up and down and high-fiving and man, she had the best crowd support of like anybody, even the like 
lead guys that were going by. People were going 10 times crazier for her. It was a, like That's a crazy amazing. atmosphere I've never seen before in triathlon. It was wild. I, I have to ask, like, do you guys talk about motivation? Like, I know that some people, uh, you know, they they want their significant other or their crew to be at, you know, 35K exactly. Or like there are certain points in the race where you know that you're at a lull and you need some sort of motivation. Like, do you do you look for that motivation, Jess? Obviously, th- in this case, like, you're getting it without asking for it. I mean, you deserve it because you're first place, but it seems like motivation really carried you a lot at the end. Normally on a race, would you be seeking that motivation? Do you have sort of specific places of motivation? Um, I think, no. I mean, it's amazing to have the crowd support and that was such a bonus. And that's where I say, if you win, you keep winning. But I point back to that 200 kilometer bike ride where Mark's like, you can quit. And I'm like, no, like you can't quit. And so I think that's inside me when I'm racing is like, it's assuming that it could be a bad day. Um, I don't, it, that the motivation needs to come from inside. If I need external motivation, then I'm going to crumble at 35 K regardless, because Mark might not be there. Um, you need to be super hungry for it yourself. Um, so I could be my own hype woman when I have to be. Okay. Okay. I think that's something that's like learned over time too, is like, yeah. I could say in the early part of my career, like I and Jess would have been the same. We are looking for that external stuff. And like you think about when you're a newer runner, like you're almost finding ways to like disconnect from the workouts by like wearing things like headphones, like a lot of newer runners wear headphones where you look like elite runners and stronger runners like aren't wearing headphones. They don't want to be disconnected from the moment. They want to be in the moment for all of it. And they have control of it themselves as they've built this like, these different mental tools to be able to dig inside themselves deep when, uh, when it comes down to crunch time and everybody has different tactics. Like, um, like personally, I use stuff of like pretending people are like talking like crap about me. They're like, Oh, you're, this guy's like not a very good biker, not a very good runner. Like, and that gets me fired up where like someone like Jess would look for different, um, internal motivation. But I think, yeah, if you're looking for that external stuff, like, and it's not there for you, then it's like a crutch for you to to give up or or find a way to drop out. And I think you hold yourself a lot more accountable when you build your internal tools mentally to to dig deep in those moments and don't need anybody to hold your hand through the finish line. So go get it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's where a lot of my questions are coming from today, I think, too, because like I've always thought endurance sport... Um, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but it's got to be 50, 50 mental versus physical. Like I, I know that you put your body through a lot, but like because of the amount of time and going back to what you were saying before, Jess, and how focused and dialed you are, are in for that amount of time versus letting your mind drift. It's a lot of mental strain and volume of just staying in the moment. And it's super impressive on how mentally strong you are. That's clearly one of your superpowers against some of the other people in the field for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've worked a long time at it. I used to, when Mark and I first started dating, I definitely was a very different person. I remember a moment where he signed me up for a race and I was so nervous about it. I was like weeping in my hot yoga class the day before. Like I was so nervous. I just like the idea of pressure. And now like I'm a completely different beast where I'm just like, bring that pressure. I want it, make it hard. Like I don't care. And, and it, it, I think it's like years and years and years of of building up that confidence that I don't care what the day throws me. I'm going to be okay because I, I have enough tools 
that I can problem solve and I've worked on the fitness and it's just, I think it just comes down to confidence. Um, and, and that, that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Going to mindset, I guess. So the end of the race, um, I assume is, I guess the hardest part of the race. I mean, you know, when you're so close, but yet you're, you know, so far, I guess, like how did the last, last few K go for you? Um, painful. Like I know my speed looked okay, but I was like, I was making like birthing noises in the last <laughs> 3k. Like I just needed a finish line and just like gutting it out. You go to a different like place in your mind in order to just get there. Um, Cause your body does start screaming. I don't want to paint it any sort of picture that I just sort of like magically floated through the marathon. Like it got ugly at the end. It hurt so bad. Um, but I did like, I, I did have moments in that race where I'm like, you know what, this, this might be the only time in your life where you're going to win an Ironman. So I don't care how much it hurts. Just make sure you're present enough to just soak it all in. So like making sure, like I took the time to like high five kids who were on the side. Um, and like, even though I wasn't smiling anymore, I was kind of grimacing, but like, it was, you know, doing everything I could to get to that finish line. So yeah, it, it hurt. I needed to dig deep, but I didn't, I didn't need, that internal motivation sometimes in the same way as if I'm out there alone, like the crowd was just going wild, especially because they knew I was so close. So they kind of carried me in. And then also knowing like, I don't know, like it's so cool to have your husband coach you. Um, so that you have the double whammy of like, you always want to make your coach proud, but when it's your life partner too, like just wanting to make him proud with my time and knowing he was like, I don't know. I, I couldn't wait to get to the finish line to look at him and be like, Oh my God, look what we did. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a gritty last 5k, but it was also like, I still remember every single one of them and, and, and like they cherish them and breaking the tape was the coolest thing. Like the announcement and being able to be on that carpet. And like, I, I broke the tape earlier. <laughs> Mark is holding it. I broke the tape earlier this year, um, in a race. And I just like, I'm such a newbie at winning races that I like just ran through it. And I'm actually really glad I had that moment of Mark teasing me and being like, wow, we need to work on this. Like you need to hold it over your head. Cause I like almost did a show of it, but the pictures we got were unbelievable. So like, we're definitely framing some of those. <laughs> yeah. There are some cool shots. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to, I have to ask, cause I mean, you mentioned a few times, like, I think you guys are quite the dynamic duo, right? Like both elite athletes, uh, partners in life, coach, athlete. Like I, I would, I would love to dive into like, how, how do you, how do you like, it sounds like you're a great team. How do you manage this? Like, is it, did it start as a shared passion? Is it become a shared? Obviously it's, it's a huge part of your life now, but like, how do you guys go at it without, you know, killing each other or go at it with, you know, I mean, like oftentimes it's, you know, you spend a lot of time with your partner. So it's like, I know you guys are spending a lot of time with your partner in difficult circumstances. I think I can, uh, I can kick this one off and I can let Jess jump in after okay. to fill in the void or scold me on anything that, uh, this is the fun part of the podcast. <laughs> Exactly. But like, for those that don't know our story, like we met when we were like 25 ish. And um, like it was through we met at like a running race. So like we already kind of had that shared passion for endurance, which is I think why we hit it off so much is like, we realized, oh, wait, I can go on like, six hour bike rides or 30k runs on the weekend and not get like, 
not of my partner like sad about it my partner's pumped and we're hanging out and we're having like uh, to this day Jess and I still have probably some of our like best bonding time or best like conversations about life work training like on these runs or rides that we're on um so yeah like shared passion that part of it is definitely easy um like when in our early part of triathlon like I've only been coaching her now for I think it's just over three years um so we both had different coaches at the time and I really wanted her to when I started coaching her to actually like come to me at that point and be like hey I want you to coach me because I wanted to like make sure that I had proven myself first like she's always been a like high caliber athlete, like in the endurance world since I've worked with her. So I like felt like I needed to kind of earn that spot and I wanted her to fully trust in it too. So like, and even in the early parts of our uh, like career, both um, training together as well as coaching together, like we've definitely, we butted heads a little bit more. Like we hadn't got down our communication um, pieces around like training and like everything we, all of our conversations, like were very blended in that like, if I was trying to talk to her something about training, like it was um, being misconstrued as like an attack on the relationship where like I was really like just having my coach hat on and like that's really evolved over the last number of years where she knows like, sure, there's going to be some moments and it's often where we're just tired or hungry where we're at mm-hmm. each other. Like mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, we're very like civil and don't fight very much and can put our differences aside pretty quickly. So like, um, yeah, she can tell like when I'm, like when I'm putting up the mirror to her or holding her accountable for something around like training, it's not an attack on her relationship and it doesn't change how much I love her as like a wife. Um, it's just me trying to get the most out of her as an athlete. So I think it's that part is how to develop as she has as an athlete. Like it takes time with anything and takes a couple speed bumps along the way. But um, yeah, it's uh we, we love doing it together and it's some of our favorite times. So like, I think we're, we're good at, realizing that in the moment and realizing these could be like our glory days and that we're living it right now so we're living it to the fullest and having fun with it so maybe Jess has more to add around kind of the dynamic and and how we made it work well it's more just like I yeah so at the beginning it was definitely like a little bit of a challenge I set up this like transition structure for us um where Mark would um on Friday nights uh, or Sundays, he would get a coaching conversation with me and he could, he would have one section of the week where he could bring anything coaching related. And I would come as an athlete, not as his girlfriend at the time, but then to help the transition, I got a slot on Friday night where Mark needs to come as my boyfriend and we got to talk about anything I wanted to, but about our relationship. <laughs> so, Feeling Fridays. Uh, yeah. Pardon? Feeling Fridays. Feeling Fridays. Yeah. So we, we had a great feeling Friday stretch for a while, but then eventually like we just adapted. And like now it's, it's funny how, you know, at the end of the day, like I get to live with someone who um, is my coach and life partner who wants me to be better in every single way. Um, and so how cool is that? Like, he's not telling me what I want to hear. He holds up a mirror and shows me how I'm showing up. And I would say his coaching doesn't just like, it's not just, you know, workouts. He also just helps me be a better person, not to get all mushy, but like, that's how we make it work is that it's the best way. Like, I'm like, I would never not want to be married to someone who's like, like being married to a coach is the best thing in the world. You have a built-in cheerleader and person who's like holding you accountable. Like I, that's what I want in life. So um, I, I'd say we were making it work. It's pretty great. So, yeah, I think, Mark, you answered that uh, 
fairly well, fairly well. I think um, most people listening. I mean, I have to ask like, what are your days like? So your full-time coach, Mark, Jess, your, your director in communications, like how do you ensure that you are getting the, tr- the amount of volume in um, you both obviously are busy folks. Is it easier because you both have the shared passion? Like how do you make sure, how do you prioritize that you're getting this stuff in? Get up early. Um, because some of my work weeks are like my work weeks are like 70 hours on average. So like I work a lot, a lot, a lot. So up at like four thirty-five to make sure that all my training is in, um, and then go to work and then come home and work out again and then go to sleep. And that is my life. Uh, when I'm in a training block, which is why training for an Ironman over the summer was hard. I did make a lot of sacrifices for it. It wasn't just like all fun and games. Um, And that's also why we cycle in and out because I don't want to paint it that we have this like monk like existence where we have zero fun. Um, (laughs) But we phase it in and we're really intentional about different seasons um, throughout the year. Um, Because I I think to make anything like especially any sort of like athletic lifestyle sustainable, you have to be able to have, you know, cycles of like fun and recovery with with cycles of just like pure focus and sending it. But I don't know, Mark, do you have anything else you want to say about your day-to-day? Uh, no, my obviously have a little bit more flexibility than Jess and that my uh, those morning workouts that we're going to, like I'm often running them as the coach of the workouts. So it's kind of a nice combo when you've made your, uh, your passion mm-hmm. into your job. It makes things a lot easier. So um, yeah, I, I still prefer, like I still have so many of the same um, – things that I had when I had like a full-time structured, like nine to five job is that I love to like get my workouts done and stuff in the morning and then get into my work day right away. I just find you have a much better work day that day when you've knocked off that training and it's not lingering on your mind all day. So um, yeah, very similar day to Jess and that I, I like to get up early, do my work during the day and then work out again at night. <laughs> and um, we didn't talk too much about uh, recovery or nutrition, but like, obviously like if you're waking up, like, are you, are you guys like in bed before eight thirty nine o'clock? Like some people I talk to. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a pretty standard, that's a pretty standard bed. <laughs> Isn't it depressing? I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. It's I the sacrifices we make. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like birds are chirping Especially and the, the sun summer, is yeah. out and we're like, lying. we're going to bed now before our kids. It's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, going back to recovery or nutrition, like have uh, obviously you were talking about maturity through sport and maturity through sort of experience and doing races. Have you found um, you've also matured or sort of started changing and shifting things from a recovery and nutrition standpoint? Would you say a lot of maybe those two areas have really helped you succeed this year with your success? Oh, 100%. So I sleep way more than I ever used to. Um, I would average close to eight hours every single night. Um, before it would be more like six and a half, seven. So I've really pushed that. I started using a whoop to start like tracking things and to play around with different things. Um, and just to see how, like, and just the accountability of seeing that number of hours you slept every night. So by that, I just increased it. Um, and then in terms of nutrition, like, especially in endurance sports, um, it's something I'm really vocal on because there's a lot of women who don't eat enough. Um, and I think that that's been a key to my success is I, I replace like all, everything I burn. So I eat a lot 
Um, and so I'm really mindful of that. Like eating is like a full-time job. So increasing the amount of food that I eat to make sure that I'm fueling the work, um, I think is a reason why I was able to do such like intense training, intense amounts of like things thrown at my body. And I think it's a combo of, you know, keeping that strength worth work in there, doing lots of squats and deadlifts and plyometrics to keep the body strong, but then also fueling the work and drinking enough water and doing all the really obvious things um, that no one else is doing. And if you, it's funny how like you don't really need recovery boots. You, you just need to sleep mm-hmm. and you need to drink water and eat enough food. That's like, if you do that, that's 95%. Yeah. It's so simple, right? I mean, the fitness industry in general has taken, has taken advantage of like, Normatex and percussion guns and stuff like that. And those are all, I mean, they're all great tools, but yes, if you just keep it simple, sleeping good food goes a long way for sure. What, what is the celebratory, uh, food that day or day after? Like what's kind of, what are you divulging into to replenish the fuel, to replenish the body? I always want like meat. So like I always love like the like a Brazilian steakhouse kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, well the night after um, my favorite meal after an Ironman truthfully is like a huge steak with vegetables because you've had so many carbs in that day that you just want like something like heavy and you know and you want some yeah. vegetables because actually leading into the race you start easing up on vegetables because you don't want too too much fiber um, on mm-hmm. race day. So I crave that and then there's always a burger that's in there somewhere. Um, and then in this particular race, I won a bottle of wine. So nice glass of wine with the steak. It was just, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so what's next? So like you win Ironman Canada, does that mean anything? Does this qualify for for another race? Yeah. So I qualified for the Ironman world championships in Kona, Hawaii. Um, so I'm going to go do that, uh, next October. So amazing. So what, so we're September. Would this be the end of the uh, Ironman season, triathlon season? No, we have one, one more. Well, Mark has a really big race. Is it in next weekend? Yep. Yeah. So he's a half Ironman. And then we have um, Utah, um, which is the 70.3 or half Ironman uh, world championships at the end of October. And then we're in off season. And so would the, like, Mark, would this be your a plus race coming up and then Jess, would this be another a plus race or is it sort of just another race for you? Yeah, I'd say this one's definitely my uh, a plus race coming up. I get to go head to head with coach ADJ. So calling him out on the podcast. Oh, yes. I just put up a nice uh, Instagram um, battle photo for us. So getting excited. He's got a lot of FOMO not being here. I'm oh, sure. I know. It's all right. We'll, we'll solve this on the Barrelman race course, but yeah, that's kind of my a race. Right. And then, uh, I'm not taking Utah quite as seriously, but I think Jess wants to kind of rebound and, and go big at that race. So, yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna go full send on it. I wouldn't call it the same A plus as an Ironman, but like, let's maybe call it an A minus race where I'm like, cool, I'm gonna send it. Okay, I mean that's, that doesn't surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds exactly what I expected to say. Um, and I, I guess I, ha- I have to ask Jess, like, so now you've reached, now you were saying before, like, you might not ever get a chance to, to win an Ironman Canada or an Ironman race. Uh, what are your, what are your big goals in this sport? Like, um, you know, you, you seem to be uh, improving year over year, it sounds like, and it sounds like this year is a great year. 
what, what, do you have any big goals in the next few years or just in general when you look at this sport? Um, yes, I do. Um, I was saying to Mark, like, what's, what's super cool um, and sort of a little, like, overwhelming is some of the major goals that I'd set, like, for my lifetime to reach in triathlon, I've met. So now I'm like, sort of, and now wow. what? Now let's move the goalposts. Like, I'm not just going to rest on my laurels. Like, let's let's go for the next mountaintop. Um, so in the spring, I want to go for a sub 250 marathon, which is a big, big goal for me. I think, um, you know, long term, I'd love to, like, keep seeing that get faster. Um, I want to smash um, Finland and Kona. Um, which are world championships events. Um, and then I'm going to keep looking at how to elevate my game. I'm going to keep getting better at triathlon. So yes, I've got lots of big goals um, that I'm working with Mark on. And I think one of the cool things uh, for sure with like uh, endurance sports is they really do a good job of kind of like making events around the world. Yeah. So it's like, there's also this travel aspect of like running in really cool places. I mean, I could, I could definitely like, you know, get into that. Yeah. Like we get to do Finland next year. Like I would never have chosen amazing. to go to that country, but like now we're going and it's going to be amazing. For Mark, I know that uh, we haven't really talked too much about the LP endurance crew exactly, but I know you guys have a bunch of races. You're talking about Barrelman. Um, the team, I mean, obviously during Jess's race, we've highlighted Jess, but I know there's a lot of athletes uh, that day that had great days. Um, but you guys have a, like a full fledged, I guess September is a big month for you guys f- for some more races. Not just triathlon, but endurance in general. Yeah, so kind of three big races that we have a bunch of athletes going to coming up. So Barrelman coming up next weekend, which is a half Ironman distance, 70.3. And then uh, our runners get to get to launch into action in October. So at uh, Toronto Waterfront, we got a bunch of people racing the half and full marathons that have put, been putting in a lot of work. So excited to see how they do. And then uh, I think we got probably like 10 to 15 going there for that. And then again, we have a huge group going to Utah for uh, 70.3 World Championships. So I think we're up to about 14 for that race as well. So it's going to be a crazy race and crazy hills by Red Rocks. It's going to be a, a pretty epic race to finish off the year for the club. And then uh, and we'll be working on our foundation season and how we can uh, get better for 2023 coming up. Lots of big races planned there too. I got to go try and get my Kona <laughs> slot now. That yeah, so you don't want to be coaching in, that one. Uh, in next be too stre- you can't be stressed out and no so. in a place like that. <laughs> so I'm going to Texas in April to throw down. So we'll see. I got to set my eyes on that and start training now nice. to be as good as Jess. <laughs> she has the house record now for. <laughs> Iron Man, so we're going to take that back, which is frustrating. And I told him I'm going to just the following weekend take our household marathon record. So we just keep challenging each other to be faster. He's killing <laughs> me over here. I got to slow down with this coaching. <laughs> there you go, bud. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing hearing uh, your story. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, you know, me not being endurance, not knowing too much about endurance. I'm learning more and more, so that's good. But I think uh, it sounds like it's a pretty big deal. So it's pretty cool that you crushed it. It's pretty cool. We have such a cool community in our area that seems like everyone everyone's improving. So, I mean, Coach, you're doing something right. And uh, sure is. your athletes seem to be maturing on pace. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> Amazing. Well, congrats. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing and, and just kind of coming on and talking about this. this is kind of a cool podcast. I hope everyone enjoys it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us, Chad. That was fun.
No problem. No problem. Thanks everyone for listening. And um, yeah, if, if anyone is inspired by this story, please, uh, our LP endurance crew is happy to take on new members growing, making it a team sport. Love it. Yes. Thanks everyone for listening. See you later.